Hello all and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT news of the week. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino, editor at Gestalt IT. If you listen to the pre-roll, you heard this already. This week, we've had some pretty exciting uh, events happening in the industry that I think should have some wide-ranging implications. So we're going to run down those real quick here. Uh, let's get it started. Uh, Google I.O. is happening, was happening, perhaps will always be happening in our hearts if we truly believe. Uh, but there were some very interesting announcements coming out of that uh, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, the one that really caught my eye was a really interesting demo by something called Google Duplex. Uh, this is a AI effort that Google is doing and integrating with their Google Assistant because they have to name everything Google something. Uh, and it was, a, it was a very impressive demo. I'm not sure how far baked we are along with this technology, but let me sum it up if you haven't seen the video for it. Essentially, what this can do is not just do things like uh, uh, real-time uh, language interpretation and replying back to it, uh, with with a degree with understanding and a degree of accuracy, but also with an eerie degree of human replication. Uh, so the demo showed a uh, Google Assistant being tasked with calling uh, a hair salon and a restaurant to kind of book appointments, reserve uh, a table, and that kind of stuff. And what really uh, is amazing is not just that it can go through kind of a pre-programmed. Uh, situation we've seen, uh, you know, Amazon Echoes and Google Assistants right now can reply with some sophistication to a number of prompts, and that's not all that remarkable. You know, it kind of goes down the phone tree, uh, as it were, and has a certain number of responses that it can do. What Google Duplex is able to do is one inject a natural like a naturalism into a voice uh in the particular demos it added in some vocal stutters some imperfections and just some ums in the middle of it so like someone was checking a piece of paper or something like that and it eerily passes the touring test in a number of ways now obviously even though these were live demos these were people in a service industry that were taking these calls without digging deep being like hey you sound like a robot are you a bot by any chance because up until now, that hasn't really been a possibility. Uh, but now it, it seems, I don't know, again, I don't know how far along baked this is, but the other thing that was really remarkable, aside from the naturalism of the language, which I guess you could just put an algorithm that says, you know, every third predicate put in an um to establish humanness um, for whatever reason. Uh, the other thing was how well it was able to handle miscommunications. Uh, so in particularly in the example of calling a restaurant, there was an issue of not knowing, not exactly hearing what day it was, not exactly understanding the initial request uh, from the voice prompt on the on the behalf of the restaurant. And then there was an additional wrench kind of thrown in where they were trying to reserve a table and they couldn't. And the AI was smart enough to realize, okay, if, if I can't get a table, why not ask how busy they are around the time that I want to be there with my guests? And uh, they were able to like extract a meaningful response from the restaurant. And again, it seemed perfectly natural. Where I see this uh, being particularly disruptive if this ever comes out, now, you know, be warm. This is a Google project. We may be seeing this demo for five times or maybe like Google Glass and come out. Everyone deems it creepy and weird and dies a swift death. But I see companies, uh, I've done briefings with a company called Next IT, which is all about building up uh, kind of custom industry chatbots. And then a, another company called XIA, which does a very similar thing to what Google Duplex is doing strictly within Gmail for booking appointments. Uh, so what you will do is you basically get a custom digital assistant with XIA and you're able to CC them. And when you're talking to someone say like, hey, my assistant, John or whoever is going to, 
you know, uh, work with my calendar and, and figure this out. And the and XAI will very organically say, hey, Rich is available these dates, these dates, what time works best for you? Use your Google Calendar or whatever calendar app that you're using to book that. And I was amazed when I saw that, I think it's two, three years ago now, I was amazed how well uh, that was kind of rolled out. There were some bugs, there were some kinks. Uh, sometimes some of the responses, if someone tries to put in a joke or something a little too human, it just has no idea how to respond. But that alone was impressive. And now seeing where we are, again, just two, three, few years later, that Google seemingly is is comfortable showing this in a demo and doing live demonstrations of it uh, is pretty remarkable. And then a company like Next IT, which essentially takes uh, business operations, whether it's your phone tree, uh, email logs, and stuff like that, and builds custom chatbots to be able to kind of automate those processes. I, I do have to wonder, you know, if something like if, if Google is going to market this in such a way that it could really disrupt a lot of these nascent or very mature next IT has been in the business for over a decade, I believe. Um, you know, so even these mature companies that are doing chatbots, if Google AI is just going to steamroll them or if they will make it a service that companies uh, that are in the chatbot space can tap into and still kind of differentiate based on maybe a chatbot or an AI engine. Uh, it just seems like a, a total next generation in terms of what we're used to with automated engagement. And, you know, it's it's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, moving on to Microsoft Build. Now, again, with Google I.O., Microsoft Build, there are no shortages of announcements. But the most exciting thing for me and I think for the Schult IT audience is what uh, Microsoft is doing around what they're calling, you know, either the intelligent edge, IOT, that kind of stuff. And really, I think this is where Microsoft uh, sees themselves being continually relevant, where they can really grow and mature some of their cloud offerings and make a play whereas a company like AWS certainly has dominance in the cloud proper. Um, and with what we're seeing with, uh, you know, uh, the Amazon Echo and, and other IoT devices like that has an edge at a consumer level. I think Microsoft is seeing this very much as an enterprise uh, and as a business uh, function for them. And to that effect, uh, they've announced that they've open sourced their IoT edge runtime, essentially uh, allowing you to customize how your IoT apps specifically run on your hardware and then still having all of your Azure services that you can punt uh, that information up to, you know, once you do some local processing, send it back to the cloud for some more mature services. And again, that's a really interesting area for me to watch for Azure uh, to see if Azure to me is always a more services oriented uh, public cloud environment as opposed to something like Amazon uh, or Google, which is really making its, uh, you know, making its hay uh, with uh, AI and ML uh, kind of workloads. I, I can see Microsoft has, again, the business acumen and background uh, to really make this hum uh, for for a lot of enterprises that are looking to do this kind of stuff and and open sourcing that one is consistent with the Satchamania new Microsoft hey we love Linux and everything's crazy uh, uh, kind of philosophy and two is just really uh, smart to try and encourage uh, some adoption. Some of the other interesting things in the IoT space is that Microsoft is bringing back the Connect brand. And no, it won't just be an accessory that gathers dust on your mantle. Uh, what they're doing here is setting up uh, some standards uh, for IoT sensor hardware that they're going to be sending out to OEMs uh, and really just kind of uh, putting out maybe some standard uh, board designs that people can use uh, to, you know, fully further customize to make IoT sensors uh, that they can use in businesses and stuff like that. So, uh, again, a little bit more of a mature move for Microsoft here. This isn't something in the lab. This is something that they want to send to businesses and that they can make money off of. But ultimately, everything comes back to Microsoft. They're buying into services. 
this is new Microsoft, who cares about Windows? I mean, I mean, really, um, IoT and cloud is a whole division within Microsoft now. And this really shows that kind of unification of that messaging uh, in some of the announcements we're seeing out of the build. Also, they announced that they might be changing how Alt-Tab works. And this has me terrified and excited because Alt-Tab is amazing and beautiful. Please don't mess it up, Microsoft. But what's interesting here is a new concept that they're coming out with in Windows 10 and one of the you know updates who knows it's going to be the uh autumnal fall creators 2019 update i have no idea if any of that's accurate whatever the basic idea of it is to allow alt tab to use what uh, microsoft is now dubbing slices uh, and this is where they're essentially allowing you to use browser tabs to run full apps, to group browser tabs a little bit more elegantly, and then use Alt-Tab to kind of do task switching between those. It's uh, it's uh, it's a little reminiscent of what we saw from WebOS way back in the day, obviously in a desktop environment, not in a mobile environment. Um, but it, it really shows that Microsoft One is taking uh, uh, web apps and the browser seriously. I mean, you, you know, there's a reason they're pushing edge uh, in a lot of situations, their edge browser in a lot of situations. And I'm excited that they're kind of putting that on equal footing. That's one of my annoyances is even on a, um, on a Chrome OS uh, laptop or device or something like that, you know, the kind of the difference between the alt tab and the control tab, which will shift tabs ordinarily. It's nice to put those on equal footing and realize that, you know, when I have my WordPress tab open and I have my Feedly tab open, those are just apps. Uh, yeah, they go back to websites or something like that, but those are discrete apps. And if I'm lumping those together and I'm, I'm using those as applications, I should be able to switch between them uh, as such. I think it's a really cool move. I'm excited to see. Don't screw it up, Microsoft. Alt tab is beautiful. Don't murder beautiful. Uh, and finally, uh, uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, attend uh, NetApp Analyst Day uh, this past week. Uh, it was uh, on Monday. Uh, it was really uh, interesting stuff was announced there. And the uh, big announcement kind of coming out of the show, I wrote about this on gestaltit.com, if you want to check that out, is that uh, NetApp's cloud volumes is now coming to Google Cloud Platform. And this kind of completes the trifecta of major I'm uh, excuse me, major public cloud platforms that this service is available on. And what's even more interesting is like their arrangement with cloud volumes on Azure, this is a first party service, AKA you don't need to go to a marketplace. You don't need to go anywhere else. It's baked into the base UI or it will be once it uh, fully comes out of preview. It's in preview and testing right now, uh, but will be coming generally available. I'm assuming bef not before too long. Uh, but what uh, if you're not familiar with cloud volumes, let me just walk this back a little bit. It's really uh, endemic of what NetApp is trying to do and kind of their transformation into a data company as opposed to, hey, you know, buy storage, storage, storage is awesome. We're an old iron company. Um, they've had a very similar offering uh, for a number of years called ONTAP Cloud, which essentially takes good old ONTAP that everybody knows, some people don't like, some people do, uh, and puts that in a cloud instance. Uh, this is really interesting for infrastructure uh, focused folks that are kind of migrating to the cloud, but it causes a problem when you're doing something where people don't want to manage a cloud instance. That's kind of the, the, the implementation of it. It's essentially on tap in a cloud instance that you own, you manage, you provision, uh, you do all the maintenance on. If something goes wrong with it, you have to fix the cloud uh, instance portion of it. It's not really a service so much as just something you install and put in the cloud. And then you get all those great ONTAP data services. You get all that compression, the dedupe, the snapshots, the whole shebang, uh, but it has the ONTAP name attached to it. And you know, if you just wanna get up and go, plug an API into it, it requires a little bit more forethought. Cloud volumes is kind of that refinement of that messaging and really, uh, again, shows that um, 
that I think NetApp is thinking uh, very cloud forward, perhaps cloud first even, I would dare say, if I'm going to use a buzzword. Um, and what Cloud Volumes allows you to do is essentially don't have to worry about provisioning any kind of cloud instance. It's just a series of APIs. You plug stuff in, you get storage and services and filers and all the stuff, all the services you would assume from NetApp without any of the maintenance kind of that would uh, requirements that would come along with it. And I think that's really interesting uh, and uh, and pretty cool. And the fact that now they're available as first party services at Azure, Google, Google Cloud, uh, and now uh, they, and they've been available for some time, at least uh, I think these are all in preview still uh, in the AWS marketplace. Uh, if they can ever get to a first party service with AWS, that would be quite a coup, although uh, we'll see if it gets there. Uh, but big announcements coming out of NetApp, and I think uh, they are very seriously taking a hard look at, uh, they have been for a long time, uh, taking a hard look at themselves in terms of, you know, how do we stay relevant? And I, I, I can't uh, argue that uh, this isn't a, a really great step and, and a really great way. Again, they're, you know, they're, the cloud volumes are everywhere now. So regardless of your cloud platform, you can take advantage of all those delicious data services. That just about does it for the Gestalt IT Rundown. Uh, if you want more great IT coverage, or you know, depending on your evaluation of it, I think it's great, but I make most of it. I'm a biased person. Why don't you go to gestaltit.com, read some stuff there, listen to some stuff there, consume some stuff there, and let me know uh, at Gestalt IT on Twitter. And my personal handle is at Mr. Anthropology, MR Anthropology. You can find observations there, witiful or otherwise. Uh, you can also find my good friend, Tom. He will be on the rundown at some point again and regularly. You can find him at Networking Nerd. And uh, he also contributes quite heavily at gestaltit.com. Uh, make sure you check out the Gestalt IT, uh, uh, our podcast, the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast. I almost forgot the name of it for a second there. You can find that at gestaltit.com slash podcast. We're very creative with our URLs or URLs. We'll be back next Wednesday. Uh, usually we try and broadcast at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. We're a little bit later today. So thank you for your patience or maybe your impatience. Uh, but if you're watching, I don't care if you're impatient. I forgive you. I'm a generous soul and a wonderful person. Until next time we meet, remember everybody, have a super sparkly day. <laughs>